Welcome to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm Umbreen Khan. Each week we explore the beliefs shaping our world. And after the midterm elections, it's time to ask, was there a faith angle? You see, Jesus doesn't look well on election thievery. Can I get a witness right there, huh? Jesus doesn't look kindly on baby butchering mongrels. Can I get a witness right there? Jesus doesn't look kindly on a nation that sends drag queens into our public schools to teach our children gender dysphoria nonsense. Jesus don't look well on that. When you have a bunch of people sort of pointing to the sky and this sort of churchy music is playing, it looks like they are worshiping Trump. You're talking about George Soros, the World Economic Forum, Schwab, Bill Gates, and many others. And now all of a sudden we have this covid madness that has been sprung upon the world and we know because they have said it surveillance under the skin the brazen and brutal attack on the husband of house speaker nancy pelosi social media post by david DePap shows him spreading conspiracy theories about holocaust denial pedophiles in the government and claims that democratic officials run child sex rings if you're hiring and paying for somebody who's an illegal immigrant and you are a lawbreaker and it's wrong and unbiblical the church is supposed to direct the government. The government is not supposed to direct the church. That is not how our founding fathers intended it. And I'm tired of this separation of church and state junk. Did faith-based groups and houses of worship signal to congregations who to vote for? Did candidates attempt to say they were God's chosen candidate? And all those quote-unquote nonpartisan events, including prayer circles, are they so nonpartisan? A lot of those stories this year were in fact missing from the news cycle, in my opinion, because not enough outlets have religion reporters to cover how religion influences the political discourse, which is why I often turn to the teams at Religion News Service, Religion Unplugged, and the Associated Press's global religious team for insights into what's happening on the ground. And one of my favorite reporters to talk to about elections and politics is Jack Jenkins. He took some time between deadlines to drop into our studio line before the election to share what he's been seeing. We start in Pennsylvania with the governor's race and the way religion kept emerging. Both Republican Doug Mastriano and Democrat Josh Shapiro tapped into their religious identity. Doug Mastriano in particular, because of his kind of leaning into a form of Christian nationalism throughout his campaign, he's basically gone all in on a very specific form of Christian nationalism that was rooted in anti-vaccine sentiment. That's kind of like where it got its um, energy that then bred into the Stop the Steal movement. And so he, it's, it, it's interesting that he went too specific in a way that I feel um, polit- politicians will learn from, where they might end up feeling that Christian nationalism is something they should appeal to more broadly, as opposed to get into the weeds about it. Jack cites how Mastriano responded to a recent controversy. Doug Mastriano was asked a question about his ties to the right-wing social media website Gab, which is run by a guy named Andrew Torba, who's notorious for sharing anti-Semitic messages. And he was kind of asked about his affiliation with that platform, because earlier on in his campaign, Mastriano apparently ran ads, at least on that platform, and he eventually deleted his accounts or what have you. And um, Mastriano's uh, wife actually stepped in. And her response to that was to say that they are supporters of Israel 
and that they are probably more supportive of the state of Israel than many Jewish Americans. That would seem to be very controversial and very offensive to many American Jews. It also resonates with something that actually former President Trump said recently on uh, Truth Social, his platform. And um, that has kind of highlighted a recurring theme in this race where Doug Mastriano is contrasted with his opponent, Josh Shapiro, who is Jewish. And there's been multiple allegations of forms of anti-Semitism or affiliations with anti-Semitic individuals during the course of this campaign. And many of those allegations appeared in campaign ads by the Shapiro campaign, like this one. Elected leaders and members of Pittsburgh's Jewish community are calling out gubernatorial candidate Doug Mastriano's ties to a controversial social media site. Gab was the social media platform used by Tree of Life mass shooting defendant Robert Bowers. He posted to it just before the deadly synagogue attack in October of 2018 that killed 11 people. Doug Mastriano paid Gab com thousands of dollars for alt-right anti-Semitic extremists to be part of his campaign. Meanwhile, Doug Mastriano himself, uh, I mean, one of his campaign slogans is this term, uh, walk as free people. That is actually an expression he started using in 2020 and 2021, where he got kind of, you know, famous in the state of Pennsylvania for participating in anti-vaccine, anti-mask, you know, really primarily anti-lockdown measure demonstrations in the state of Pennsylvania and in voicing opposition to those um, lockdown measures. He would often appeal to scripture. There was a lot of Christian nationalism that was a part of that movement. And walk as free people is apparently a reference to the gospel of John. And that kind of expression um, is pretty common in his campaign. He has other more overt scripture references in his signs and in his speeches um, throughout his run for office this go round. So he has really staked a claim of being unapologetically not only religious, but, you know, kind of uh, appealing to this very specific Christian vision for Pennsylvania and for the United States of America. He's also referred to the separation of church and state as a myth, for instance. Exit polling will give better clues about why Pennsylvania voters rejected Mastriano and ended up voting for Josh Shapiro, who is the governor-elect. But up until Election Day, it was clear that Mastriano embraced and supported others who shared his beliefs, including a relatively new parachurch organization, Intercessors of America. On Election Day, the group leaders, Dave and Chris Koopel, held a live prayer webcast. I tuned in, curious to hear if any candidates would come up. We had some elected officials that joined so that they could pray also for their state so that our people could pray over them and so that they could have the common values prayed for that God's purposes would, would be fulfilled. One of them was uh, Rebbe and Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania. And what gracious and wonderful people. They've been very open. And um, so what a wonderful time of prayer it was for them to be able to connect with intercessors who've been praying for godly government. Chris Coble is careful there to not endorse. You can hear her being very explicit because the Intercessors is a tax-exempt organization. But their prayer circles and missions have a clear religious political agenda. And if there is any doubt, Dave Coble wants to clear it up, commanding Christians to make the connection between faith and elections. So the lesson you know from in church at all, hardly, is that God calls people to elected office. 
you know, go figure, <laughs> you know, God created the family, he created the church and he created government and God created leaders in all of those areas. And he has a plan and design for them. So I just think it's tremendous to see uh, these uh, these men who we've known for years uh, to rise to the surface. While Mastriano was leaning into Christian nationalism, Josh Shapiro was tapping into his own Jewish identity and working that faith angle. He talks about how he keeps kosher and has Shabbat dinner every Friday, um, kind of pushing back on that characterization. And and I think what's been interesting is that he's leaned into not only his own faith uh, this election cycle, but has also kind of leaned into engagement with faith communities. Now, at some level, Democrats do this all the time. It's actually like a, an un, a frequently untold story is how often Democrats lead into not only whatever constituencies um, they belong to, you know, like, you know, Shapiro talking to Jewish communities, for example, but also talking to other faith communities, right? And, you know, Shapiro is talking to black Protestants and black churches and what have you, and other religious leaders and figures as well. And he has not, you know, the, if anything, he's leaned in harder this year um, amid uh, Mastriano leaning into Christian nationalism. And I think it's an interesting dynamic. Jack notes that multi-faith engagement looks different on the left, especially in contrast to the way conservative Christians organize and get out the vote. A lot of these groups, they are most active in a uh, protest and, you know, kind of push back to p- specific policy element, right? So these are groups that would, that, you know, were protesting, um, you know, elements of, of the Trump uh, administration throughout his tenure in office, for instance. And while they might also have constituencies, they are not necessarily the ones who are you know, driving people to the polls to vote on election day. That having been said, we have seen many of um, the, you know, the, the more liberal leaning faith communities definitely become involved as they are often on election day, right? So for instance, black Protestants in particular um, in Pennsylvania and other parts of the country are absolutely um, encouraging people to vote, um, not necessarily endorsing one candidate or another, but you know, making sure that people have access to their polling locations. And that's there's a long tradition of that, and that absolutely has been activated in Pennsylvania and elsewhere this go-round. And that includes the state of Georgia, where ordained senior minister, Reverend Dr. Raphael Warnock, faced former NFL star and political newcomer backed by President Trump, Herschel Walker. In what is going to be most likely the most expensive Senate race in modern history, because both are now headed to a runoff on December 6th. In this race, faith organizing on both sides was extensive, and it was intertwined in many ways with another issue, access to abortion. As multiple news sources and stories emerged alleging that candidates Herschel Walker paid for abortions of former partners. The Republican nominee found himself in hot water and under attack, confronting allegations of hypocrisy as he promised voters that he would pass a national abortion ban if elected. To help manage that fallout, a group of white evangelicals convened a prayer meeting to lay hands on Walker and offer support. And I actually spoke to Ralph Reed about this. He's head of the Faith and Freedom Coalition, a long-standing um, advocate for what was once called the religious right, a long-standing political organizer in that regard. The day after those allegations came down for Walker, 
there was actually immediately a prayer meeting at a um, church in Atlanta. Marshall, do you mind? I just, I'd like for us to lay hands on you. All right, if you just uh, step down here uh, and we'll just gather around and have prayer. Just come on up if you would. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to gather together in this place, in this house of prayer where we can call upon your name. And while the storm is raging outside these walls, you have spoken peace to the storm in our own lives. And we thank you that before Herschel was born, you knew him by name. You had ordained his life. You had already anointed him to have gifts and talents that would cause him to excel above all others. Your hand of favor has rested upon his life all the days of his life. And Lord, today we thank you that your holy name, your righteous name. And Ralph Reed was there with Walker that day. And they did not seem to, to hinder support in at least that conservative Christian stalwart um, supporter um, camp. And Ralph Reed was dismissive when I t- um, spoke to him for my story, saying instead, he's like, yeah, you know, we lose referendums all the time. That's not where the strength of um, the anti-abortion movement sits. It is more often when we elect state legislators. Another strategy, statewide ballot referendum and initiatives to amend constitutions, has emerged since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. Earlier this year, we had this abortion referendum in Kansas that people were thinking would be a, I mean, this is not a particularly blue state. Um, And when they had this referendum that would have amended the Constitution that, that could allow for abortion bans, it failed spectacularly in that state. And I think that might be the dynamic at play come election day is the difference between states and races where abortion has become a key topic, either surrounding the candidates themselves or the state laws that are at risk of being passed one way or another. In Georgia, while no referendum on abortion access is on the ballot, Reverend Dr. Senator Warnock is adamantly pro-choice. And that position has drawn criticism from conservative Christians. Reverend Senator Warnock identifies as a pro-choice pastor. His detractors, you know, dismiss that, saying that that makes him not really a pastor. It was disqualifying from their perspective um, for Christianity. These were conservative Christian lawmakers and advocates saying this. But when you looked at the polling, that isn't necessarily true in the state of Georgia generally or among Christians Overall, I mean, black Protestants in particular are actually deeply supportive of abortion being legal in all or most cases. Same among Catholics and others. Um, and even we saw majorities of Christians and Protestants in Georgia from state polls at that point. And this is pre-Dobbs um, expressed support for access to abortion um, in all or most cases. Neither Warnock or Herschel had the requisite 50% and are headed into a runoff, which will extend the question of which party controls the Senate and by what margin. The other race that is too close to call that's been on Jack's radar is the governor's race in Arizona. There, two women face off Carrie Lake and Katie Hobbs. At the time of this taping, we still don't know who the winner is. But Lake, a former broadcast journalist, received lots of national attention for the media tactics and use of social media, amplifying messages honed by former President Trump, including claims about the 2020 election and voter integrity. Carrie Lake, in the final stages of her campaign, actually leaned in 
to support from evangelical faith communities. She just had an event with Sean Foyt, who is this conservative Christian musician who kind of got um, a lot of attention during the pandemic for holding these uh, um, worship services slash music festivals in direct defiance of a lot of COVID restrictions. He appeared with her recently. She actually was uh, anointed with oil and prayed over in, in an event in the last few days. Um, she's also made reference to Jesus and Christ over the course of her campaign. Um, she hasn't gone as hard as you might find in Mastriano's case, for instance, but she has appealed to this. Sean Foyt has been part of the Reawakened tour where he often performs. Here he is before Election Day calling everyone to strike the ground for victory. You'll hear them chanting strike as they throw down imaginary swords to hit the ground. I believe this is a prophetic moment. Listen, we marched around the Supreme Court 40 days after the Dobbs decision was leaked. And we prayed that that decision would be bound together by the Supreme Court justices. And you know what? We got a victory. How many believe we're going to have a victory on Tuesday? So come on, let's give a victory shout. Let's strike the ground and let's give a victory shout on the count of three. Are you ready? So here we go. Get your arrows out. Just go strike. The Reawaken America tour is headlined by former General Michael Flynn. It's part revival, part political reality. And the name of the tour is absolutely a play on that last great awakening in American religious life. Jack describes the ideas that galvanize the crowd. This traveling kind of event often fuses um, anti-vaccine sentiment and conspiracy theory and theories with Christian nationalism. It's really kind of an um, emanation of what was the Stop the Steal movement and the anti-vaccine and anti lockdown measure movements of 2020 and 2021. The most prominent voice there um, is General Michael Flynn, who um, is a Catholic, and but has leaned heavily into Christian nationalism, even at a local context um, over the last you know, few months and really the last year and a half. And so this idea of Christian nationals, it's like we're a bunch of Nazis from world from the 1930s or something. That's no, that is so far from the truth. It's fascinating because two things are happening at the same time at the Reawaken America tour right now. One is that we've now seen a lot of the speakers use a similar line over and over and over again. They'll start referring to those who accuse them of being Christian nationalists. And they'll say, you know, if the decision is between Christian nationalism and, you know, secular globalism or atheistic globalism, then I guess I'm a Christian nationalist in the crowd applause. And that has been versions of that have been used over and over and over again. And so they and some of them have started saying, I'm a proud Christian nationalist, you know, trying to, you know, trying to bifurcate the, what America can be into two very different polar opposites. And so that's really interesting. At the same time, you've seen some of the loudest voices in these camps getting more specific about what they think a Christian nation should be or what they think Christianity should be. And among them is um, Tennessee pastor Greg Locke, who in the lead up to the uh, more recent Reawaken America tour, he went on Facebook and advocated for burning um, rosaries and what he called Catholic statues. And even doubled down, he just decried Catholicism wholesale. And when he was on stage at the Reawaken America tour a few days later, he you know, condemned the Pope and accused the Pope of prostituting the church and really kind of signaled that um, you know there's only one way to Jesus and signaled that the papacy in general 
um, is something to be rejected because it gets between you and Christ. And it was only a little while later that um, General Flynn got on stage and, you know, while voicing support for Christian nationalism, made a point to say, I'm Catholic, by the way. It's not the only fissure. Gab founder Andrew Torba, who came up earlier in the conversation with Jack around Pennsylvania's gubernatorial race, has written a new book, Defending Christian Nationalism, in which Torba challenges a pillar of belief that many in this movement embrace. In that book, he has a whole chapter dedicated to pushing back on sort of end times apocalyptic thinking and and, and eschatology and theology. The idea that uh, the second coming is imminent, that the end times is imminent, saying that that is a, a, um, an eschatology of defeat, like kind of really condemning this theology. Well, that theology is foundational to a whole lot of conservative Christian, particularly Protestant groups. Lauren Boebert, who also has pushed back and rejected the idea of a separation of church and state, you know, she kind of talked about the impending end times as very important. It's an honor to serve in this time. I believe that many of us in this room believe that we are in the last of the last days. And that's not a time to complain. That's not a time to grumble, to be dismayed, to be disheartened, but a time to rejoice. You get to be a part of ushering in the second coming of Jesus. Now, not all these groups can necessarily consider themselves um, allies in the, the granular sense to begin with. But we are starting to see these uh, this really interesting element of fissures, um, old theological debates and disputes happening in these Christian nationalist circles. And it's unclear um, what effect that might have on their attempt to maintain the coalition. These are old debates and old, um, you know, uh, really sometimes violent fissures. You know, the classic example is anti-Catholicism was part and parcel of the Ku Klux Klan, for instance, an overtly extremist Christian nationalist Group. Today, it's not the Klan, but Jack cautions against thinking that all those who embrace Christian nationalism share the same beliefs and strategies. As an example, he reminds us that on the progressive side, there are also divides. There have long been kind of fissures in these communities, but they have had these constituencies on the left, you know, for lack of a better term, the, the religious left, a, a unifying figure in pushing back against Donald Trump and even in Trump's absence, people ranging from Doug Mastriano to Carrie Lake, um, you know, to Ron DeSantis in Florida, what have you, um, these have been unifying figures for them to push back against. People forget, but actually one of the largest mass arrest peaceful protests in American history happened um, under Biden's tenure when the Poor People's Campaign staged a massive protest um, on Capitol Hill. And they also had, you know, some some strong words for Joe Biden for not doing enough to advocate for doing away um, with the filibuster, to not doing enough to advocate for voting rights earlier on, for not, you know, hold, hosting a meeting with them to discuss poverty in the White House, which they have communicated multiple times in public and have yet to receive a public response from the Biden administration. And those fissures continue. And to be fair, that tends to be really common in progressive activist circles. Jack sees a potential opportunity, though, for faith-based groups on the progressive side to unify if Republicans are able to hold control of Congress. I do think, though, if Republicans are able to uh, take back control of the House or if they're able to take back uh, control of the Senate, 
and the House. I would not be surprised to see a second resurgence, not only of these groups protesting on Capitol Hill, but protesting in even larger numbers, pushing back against a Republican Congress, I think would rally a lot of those communities to work together even more tightly than they already have. Jack Jenkins is a national religion reporter for the Religion News Service. He's also the author of American Prophets, The Religious Roots of Progressive Politics and the Ongoing Fight for the Soul of the Country, which was published in 2020. Coming up, a new poll offers insights into the values that drive how many Americans see policy and political changes and why some controversies are more effective than we may realize about tapping into our fears about the future. You're listening to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. We'll be back after this short break. friends. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. We're a national show, and we are a small and mighty team committed to bringing you stories and sounds from around the world that convey not only the diversity and the pluralism of our country, but the beliefs that are shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the ideas that sustain us and inspire us to think about where we are going. And that brings me to this question. If you value us, if you enjoy listening and appreciate what you're hearing, I want to ask you to take a moment to consider becoming a sustaining member of Interfaith Voices or make a one-time donation at interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. That's interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. Thank you, and let's get back to the show. (laughs) 